Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, we're looking at, well, the title is God Chose the Weak. Not a title I fabricated, it's one that comes out of the text. Now, let's give us a little bit of history. Um, Last week we looked at the question, what does God expect of me? As we examined the parable of the talents, and we saw that God wants us to invest everything that he's given us uh, as he asks us to, uh, and to invest it in his kingdom. We also looked at that one man who buried everything that God gave him, because he was afraid and he never invested anything ever in God's kingdom. We find out at the end of the parable that he was a man who had never been saved. Well, this morning, I want to look at why genuine believers so often bury much of what God has given them and don't actually employ it because we don't want to run the risk maybe of failure. And uh, we do it for the same reason. We're afraid. Uh, There's three basic reasons why human beings fail to invest in the kingdom of God. And one of them, of course, is that they don't know God. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So there's your first reason. They don't know God. The second reason is they may be believers, but they don't actively follow God in their life they just following their own dreams and ambitions. Uh, in John 12, 26, Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. So clearly, Jesus doesn't consider it as service to him if you're in some ministry somewhere, in some church, but in your actual private life, you're not following him at all. So, There's your second reason. And the third reason, of course, is the reason that is presented by our text. That is that we're just afraid we're going to fail. You'll remember that the man with the one talent said, I was afraid, and so I hid my talent. Okay, so why are we sometimes too afraid to run the risk of investing in the kingdom as God has God's leads us to do so, whether that be in a financial investment, whether that be through sharing our faith, whatever. Well, it's nearly always a fear of failure. This, of course, is nothing new. Uh, We saw last week that when Jeremiah was called, he said, Lord, I'm a child. I, I, I don't know how to speak. When Gideon was called, he said, I'm the least in my family. I couldn't possibly save Israel. When Moses was called, he said, I'm not eloquent enough. Uh, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. So it's never been any different for God, has it? Uh, You remember the wedding, the parable of the wedding banquet and the kingdom of heaven is described as the kingdom of God as as an invitation to a wedding. And uh, the text says that when the people were invited, they began to give excuses as we have been doing ever since. And our major excuse is, Lord, you got the wrong person. I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm too weak for the task. Which brings us to our text, for this is where God addresses this fear. Uh, notice who God deliberately, or what it is, he deliberately chooses to serve him. 
1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers want to think, he says, think what you were when God called. He's, he's talking about the people that God chooses for his kingdom. Not many of you are wise by human standards. That means you are, most of you are dummies. Not many were influential, so most of you are insignificant. Not many were of noble birth, no class. But God chose the foolish things. Now, the, the word there in the Greek literally means to, to be devoid of understanding. So he's saying most of you are just a bunch of ignoramuses. Uh, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And as if he was going to sum up all of his... Uh, uh, rather rude descriptions of us, but accurate. He says, by way of summary, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, there you get those words, God chose the weak. It's quite a revelation. What do we learn from this? Well, if you've been chosen by God, guess what? We've all got weaknesses. Now, I'm not talking here about sins and character flaws that God expects us to bring before him and have addressed, talking about limitations in areas where you can't change. Um, I, I remember talking to Scott Price, who was uh, at the time uh, involved in spearheading that giant company, Arthrex. And I told him, Scott, you know, if they put me in charge of that company, I, in a week I could turn the whole business around by which I meant uh, it wouldn't take me longer than seven days to take a multi-billion dollar corporation and have it galloping 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Uh, why is that? Because I got limitations. That, I would have no gifts for that whatsoever. Uh, we've got many li limitations in our lives. We've got circumstantial limitations. In Philippians 2.23, Paul said, I hope, therefore, to send Timothy as soon as I see how things go with me. So Paul's recognizing that he's confined to God's ordained circumstances. Uh, in fact, he goes on later to say in Philippians, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And, and a little further in chapter 4, verse 10 of Philippians, he says, and I know that you would have helped me, but you had no opportunity to do so. So the circumstances wouldn't let you. It limited you. Uh, but it's okay, God's in charge. So we have circumstantial limitations. We have, of course, financial limitations. And uh, there's an interesting passage in <laughs> Acts. And presumably because Paul was short of funds, we read in Acts 18, verse 2 and 3, that Paul went to see Priscilla and Aquila. And because he was a tent maker, the same as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So <laughs> there's a period of time, at least, when almost certainly due to financial limitations, Paul resorts back to his trade of making tents. It's hard to imagine that in God's will, there was a period where God was happy to have Paul bivocational, but he was. And then there's relational limitations. And we certainly saw a bunch of that while I was at seminary because uh, I knew at least three men whose ministries were severely limited because they'd either married an unbeliever who didn't like the calling at all, or they were married to somebody who who had a different, they said, calling from them. And uh, I don't know how they worked that one out. And then you've got physical, you've got mental limitations. Um, I've just got through talking about mine. Uh, and psychological limitations. 
I was reading about Richard Feynman, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics, and I'll have to read why he won it, but he won it for contributions to the development of quantum electrodynamics, whatever that is. Well, what I thought was interesting about his story is that years after he won the Nobel Prize, he went back to his old high school and looked up the old files that they had on him and to his amusement discovered that he didn't have a very high IQ. And he then wondered, had I known that I didn't have a very high IQ? Well, he wondered whether that would Im have imposed limitations upon himself, uh, whether that would have caused him to attempt much less. But we have psychological limitations. And uh, those are the ones we very often bring to God because we have a ceiling that we above which we can't rise and we tell God, you, you're asking for something up there that I can't possibly reach to. Um, well, the first thing we learn from our text is that if we're a believer, we've all got weaknesses. But the second thing we learn, to our encouragement, is God has purposely chosen to use weaknesses. Look at verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So you can see, this is God deliberately chooses to use his people's weaknesses. In, in the biography of Hudson Taylor, who is the founder of the China Inland Mission, uh, there was a, a, a friend of his who wrote him a, a letter of complimenting him and complimenting him for the impact of his amazing mission. And he said, what an amazing man you must be, Hudson. So Hudson responded informing his friend of his true credentials. And he said, it, se <laughs> it seemed to me that God had looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when at last he found me, he said, well, he's weak enough, he'll do. A much more accurate view of himself than the other guy had. So that begs the question, why on earth would God choose to use our weakness? Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him bringing us to verse 31. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Can you imagine if God chose us or we had it in our minds that he chose us because we were so talented? <laughs> who do you suppose would get the glory for that? I mean, if, if God chose us because we were so talented, uh, then any success that we would have in ministry at all uh, would immediately go to inflate our otherwise uh, or, or previously swollen head. It, that's all that would ever be achieved. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure. What treasure? He's speaking about God's spirit and God's power. And he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning frail, human, brittle bodies, of, of ourselves. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is why God 
chooses weakness to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You might remember when God chose Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 15 gives us the reason why he chose him. First of all, because he, he came from the weakest clan in Manasseh, and he was the least in his family. And moreover, Gideon knew it. Gideon, he thought was qualified, or God knew he was qualified, because Gideon believed he couldn't do the job. Is that strange? Now, what's amazing is when we find out that we're chosen because we're so weak, and then he chooses to use our weaknesses, we're still prone to pride if, 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 if we get the least success in something or another. I mean, we're all prone to some level of pride. Let's prove that. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, a passage you know very well, the Apostle Paul, uh, he says, to keep me from being conceited, really, we need to keep you from being conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, no, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That means my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, meaning when I'm weak in myself, then I am strong, meaning then I am strong in the Lord. Well, if Paul was in danger of, of, of pride uh, and, and God is doing everything he's doing so that we couldn't possibly be attributed with anything miraculous, that it, all the glory goes to him. And, 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 and yet the great apostle is still capable of pride. How much more are we? You know, by all accounts, the apostle Paul appears to have been in the natural realm, a humble man. Uh, first thing we could say about Paul was that he was very much a, a celebrated rabbi under having been under the student of, of the great Gamaliel, but he never mentions that that gave him any pride. There's no indication of this at all. Uh, in the previous chapter to the one we're in, he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. He's telling you what he went through for Jesus. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked, spent a night and a day in the open sea, constantly on the move, been in danger from rivers, bandits, my own countrymen, from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at the sea, and, and danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches, all because of his commitment to Christ. And never once does he indicate that that ever went to his head. You know, look what I do for Jesus. Uh, he was used by God to pen two-thirds of the New Testament. Can you imagine how, how much Paul must have known theologically? Think of, think of all that he knew, and yet in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, he said that he only knew in part. And he, he comes across as, as, as one of our more humble brethren, and yet these revelations finally got to him, and 
he said, I would have been puffed up with pride had God not brought me down a peg or two. Well, um, you know, you, you think about what excuse we possibly would have for any pride. And if one believer, well, one preacher has a lot more revelation than another preacher, does he have any grounds for boasting? Um, first, Corinthians 4, 7 says, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And that means freely receive. And so why do you boast as if you didn't receive it as, as, a, as a mere gift? Um, you know, if you had two beggars sitting on two street corners and a wealthy man came and gave one $10 and gave the other $10,000, well, what grounds would the one with the $10,000 have to look down on the one who'd only been given 10? Because there's no grounds for any, any pride if what we have is what we've, what we've been given. In fact, you know, I collect quotations and this marvelous quotation by Spurgeon who's speaking about this very thing is how we tend to get most proudful uh, or prideful over things that we had nothing to do with. Um, this is his marvelous quote. You'll not often find that a man assumes great heirs who has worked to achieve a great invention and blessed his fellow men by the valuable discovery. But lofty is the carriage of the brainless aristocrat who owes his position to the accident of his birth. <laughs> <laughs> so again, why does God choose those who are not wise by human standards? Why does he choose dummies, those who are insignificant, who have no class, who are devoid of understanding, who are a bunch of ignoramuses, so that nobody may boast before him? Verse 31, therefore it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Uh, or if we use the other text, is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the text tells us that we've all got weaknesses. The text then tells us that God purposely chooses to use weakness. And then that leads us to responding in some way. What's the, how do we respond to this? Well, the first way we should respond to this is we should be people who are very quick to admit and acknowledge our own weaknesses. That's precisely what the Apostle Paul is doing here. In 2 Corinthians 20, uh, sorry, 2 Chronicles 20, uh, <coughs> Uh, some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying there's a great army or a multitude of people who are coming against you from beyond the sea. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he turned his attention to seek the Lord. Now he seeks the Lord very successfully because God just completely answers his prayer. So how does he, what, how does he seek him so successfully? This is what he prays. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who is coming against us. And nor do we even know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And he got in great results from God because he confessed his incredible weakness and ignorance before God. This is, this is a way to get a hold of God. In Luke 18.10, we read uh, about those two men, you know, remember the one who, who thanked God that he wasn't like other men? 
And, and then there was the tax collector who stood at a distance and wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself and is before God will be exalted. One of those characters had confidence in himself before God. Well, I'm not like other men, at least, you know, that ought to be worth something. And he got nothing. And the other person saw himself as nothing and approached God in his weakness and received God's grace and God's favor. So when God tells you to humble yourself, he's not asking you to become less than, than you are. He's telling you to come off the high horse that you have no business being on. So how do we respond? First, admit our weakness. And then the second thing is to actually thank God for our weaknesses. Uh, I, I've had trouble um, learning things. You know, I, I've always been a very, very slow learner. I have to learn something a hundred times to get it. Um, and that's given me grief over the years. Um, I didn't sleep for eight years at seminary to, 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 to get two degrees, which um, another person could have done in four years. <laughs> and uh, I crammed four years into eight years. So, but, but, but I ought to be celebrating that this is a weakness that, uh, that, that, that God has been happy to use. Uh, look at chapter 2. Because, you see, when he goes into chapter 2, we see Paul immediately illustrating what he's been talking about here. And that is he's celebrating his own weakness when it comes to preaching. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom, meaning I didn't have any of that. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Doesn't that sound like the way we should be when God asks us to do things that we don't think we could do? Just do it in weakness and fear and much trembling. And, and why is he celebrating how weak his oratory was? And by the way, it must have been not very good because there's a passage in 2 Corinthians where the Corinthians give their opinion of Paul and they say his, his letters are weighty and forceful, but his preaching amounts to nothing. So he must have been a really lousy communicator. But he says, look, I'm happy with that weakness. Why? Because my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He celebrated it because he knew that what God had ordained to put it, to invest his power in was his own weakness. And he was well aware that this, this is an area of weakness. Sorry, I'm spitting on you. Um, <laughs> so we have a splash area in the front. Like Shamu. Second Corinthians twelve ten says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so why? Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. You ever thought of that? Instead of moaning over your weaknesses and thinking I can't do that, say, so, Well, this is this is I'm I'm gotta be the last person who should be called to do this, but I'm gonna do it because I know God's power is gonna come on me. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's positively thankful for his weakness. 
you see people like Joni Erickson Tata, who who's just spent a life praising God for her for being crippled. Um, and, and why? Because it resulted in God releasing his power. Somebody posted this this week on Instagram. Uh, it's from John Piper. He said, the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you're strong. And Jesus won't enlist you unless you're weak. What is God looking for in the world? Assistance? No. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It's a help available ad. God is not looking for mighty people to work for him, but weak people who let him work mightily in and through them. Uh, I was listening to Paul Washer, and he says what our text makes abundantly clear, and that is there are no great men of God. There are no great men of prayer. There are only tiny, weak, faithless men who serve a great and merciful God. So when we hear these words, God chooses weakness, we, we, we should be celebrating that, that that means that God chooses people like me. And, and, and when we read Paul say that he boasts all the more gladly about his weakness so that Christ's power may rest on him, we can celebrate the fact is, this is precisely what God intends to invest his power in, that it might be seen that it's all of God and, and not of man. So Paul's thankful because the acknowledgement of his people's weakness results in God's power releasing, but also in our personal healing. James 5.16 says, confess, acknowledge your faults, that is your weaknesses and your failings to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What heals so many marriages instantly is the ability for the characters within the marriage to, to acknowledge I messed up, that, 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 that I sinned in this area. Uh, you, you get emotional healing this way with God. You get relational healing with people. And, I, and honestly, just admitting your faults, it, in some cases, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't lead to physical healing. Um, the acknowledgement of our weakness results in God's power, releasing, and if you like rhymes, I do too, uh, our personal healing and, and greater grace receiving. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And who are the humble? Those are the people who are conscious of their utter weakness. Uh, God gives grace to the humble. Romans 8, 26 says, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Psalm 72, verse 13, God will take pity on who? The weak and the needy and save them from death. Isaiah 40, 29, verse 31 says, he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So actually, it goes a little bit beyond, you can't just be weak, because you're weak whether you admit it or not. But it's those who are weak and by their weakness have to turn to hope in the Lord. They're the ones that receive God's power. So be thankful for your weakness. 
and then serve the Lord and do what it is he's asking you to do, even though you think you're too weak, because that's what he's chosen to use. Because uh, you might say, well, you know, what if I don't do what he's asking me to do? What difference is, what is my weak little contribution to the kingdom going to make anyway? In Luke 16, 10, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with much. So to be trustworthy, to be faithful, is to be faithful in the little things. Very clearly, the little things that we do for God are the things that really matter to God. Uh, in conclusion, I, I just happened to bump into these statistics. In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I to be executed. In 1776, one vote determined that English, that English and not German would be the American language. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. And in 1923, one vote gave Hitler control of the Nazi party. So admit your weaknesses, be thankful for your weaknesses, knowing that when I'm weak, then God's going to be strong in my life. And, and knowing that your, your weaknesses receive God's power, God's healing, and God's grace. Admit your weaknesses, be thankful for your weaknesses, and then serve the Lord. Go ahead and do it, no matter how weak you think you are. Do it in the confidence that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bez. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.